Thank you, Will. Let's pray. Father, we uh, thank you for uh, this morning, and we thank you for your word, um, that it is true, that it is good and perfect, and that it is a gift from you. And so, Lord, I pray that uh, you would speak to us from your word, that you might uh, lead us to follow you because of it. Just take just a moment right where you're seated, just to ask the Lord to speak to you from his word today. Lord, may your word lead us to faith, and may it lead us to trust you for all things. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Well, good morning. It is uh, great to be together, uh, great to worship the Lord together, and as Courtney said, to rehearse the gospel and walk through uh, the gospel. Uh, tonight, obviously, is Super Bowl Sunday. Um, I uh, really could care less about who wins this game. Uh, I haven't cared about a Super Bowl since the 1900s when the Dallas Cowboys were in the Super Bowl. Uh, so it's been a rough few years, and uh, my kids are always trying to figure out who, like, who do you root for? They always want to know, who do you root for? I'm like, I'm rooting for a good game. They're like, no, but like, who are you rooting for? I'm like, okay, fine. I'll, I'll think about who I'm rooting for, and I'll try to find a story or, or something. And usually it's uh, the underdog. I love rooting for the underdog, right? That's, that's always kind of fun. There's not really one tonight. So, uh, but we like, to, we like to root for the underdog. In fact, years ago, I went against my principles as a, as a Cowboys fan, and I rooted for the New York Giants uh, against the mighty Patriots. Remember this? Uh, 18-0, Tom Brady, the Patriots, they win, they win, they win all the time. 18-0, they're playing against the Giants who are 10-6, and and like the Giants are not going to win this game. This is a complete, they are a complete underdog, and the Giants won that game, 17-14. Now, why do I bring this? up. Because the Patriots, as mighty as they were, and they are, the, they are you know, so highly favored, they still had to show up. They had to come and play the game. They couldn't just be like, sorry, Giants, you have to bow down to us as the mighty Patriots, because they had to actually show up and play the game. Now, this analogy is going to break down before it even gets started, so don't take me, don't email me about this, okay? But the last few weeks, we've been talking about Romans 9. And in Romans 9, Romans 9 is really focusing on God's sovereignty, Focusing on, on God's sovereignty, in particular in his divine election. And so the natural question that comes to mind in that is, it's the question that my kids have been asking, because our high schoolers and our middle schoolers study the same passage. They're like, well, what does it matter what we do then? Like, does it matter? Do we have to engage? Do we have to show up? I mean, if all of salvation is dependent upon God, then, then why does it matter what we do? And as we've said, Romans 9 is all about God's perspective on salvation, from there to here. But Romans 10 transitions into this idea of what is salvation and how do we salvation, see salvation from here to there. And it takes us back, as we saw in the reading, that, that salvation is to everyone. In fact, it reminds us all the way back to our theme verse for the book of Romans, all the way back to the fall when we looked at Romans 1.16. When Paul says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and then to the Greek. We saw this in the reading, this, this process of salvation that goes to the Jew first and then to the Gentile. And so what chapter 10 is about is about the fact that salvation is to everyone who believes. It is this perspective of salvation from here to there. And so it's everyone who believes. And so Paul says that most of the Israelites, as we heard in the reading, missed it. 
Salvation by grace through faith was offered to them, but they were so ingrained, so ingrained in earning by keeping the law, that they rejected Jesus. In fact, at the end of this chapter, uh, he says this. Look at me, chapter 10, verse 18. But I ask, have they not heard? Indeed, they have, for their voice has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. But I ask, did Israel not understand? First, Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. Then Isaiah is so bold as to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. But of Israel, he says, all day long, I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. And so God has been pursuing his people, Israel, but they are rejecting him. They have rejected him. That was prophesied, and in the purposes of God, just like we saw in Romans, to the Jew first, and then to the Gentile, which means everybody else, to everyone who will believe. Salvation is to all who believe. And so then what is, what is faith then? From here to there, it's about faith. It's always been about faith. So what is faith? Now, Paul has this really weird statement where he says what faith isn't. Uh, read it with me, verse 6, chapter 10, verse 6. Uh, but the righteousness based on faith says, do not say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. Now, what does this mean? This is confusing to us, but Paul is using a, a expression that had become proverbial for what was impossible. So this idea of, of ascending to heaven or descending to the abyss That's proverbial for impossible. And so what is Paul saying? Simply put, he's saying that faith does not require us to become superhuman to, you know, ascend to heaven or descend to the abyss. But Paul is simply saying that this faith is responding to what God has done and faith, believing him. Now, So again, the point of chapter 10 is salvation is to everyone who believes, but what does belief look like? It's not that, but what is it? Look at verse nine. It says this, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. What is faith? It's belief and confession. It's belief in the gospel, and it's confessing it with our mouth. That's what Paul says, simply put. Confess uh, is, is a word that means to say the same thing. So it's to say the same thing that God says about this. In this context, it refers to confessing that Jesus Christ is Lord. Confession is the acknowledgement of our faith in Christ. And, and we do this more formally in our context in baptism as a way of confessing our faith uh, to the faith community. But in the, in the early church, this Jesus is Lord phrase was shorthand, and, and it was simple expression of faith in the entire gospel. They lived, the earliest readers in Rome, they lived in a context where they were forced to say Caesar was Lord. And so this statement of Jesus is Lord is contrary to the fact that Caesar is Lord and, that, and it's contrary to the fact that have all the pressure that has been put on them as a community to say Caesar is Lord and to worship him, but instead to say Jesus is Lord. Now, even though we do not live in a place where we're uh, neglected rights because of who we say is Lord, I, I think the pressure 
to confess other things as Lord is as strong now, if not stronger as it was even then. You see, the confession part of faith, the saying it, is a recognition that everything else is crying out for its lordship in our life. But faith says, Jesus is Lord. And obviously, one of the clearest ways to recognize that he is Lord is this belief, as he says, that God rose him from the dead. Belief in the resurrection means that Jesus is Lord. Now, when we see this belief in the resurrection, I think it's shorthand, again, thinking about all of Romans and all of Scripture. It's belief in the gospel. It's belief that God sent his son Jesus, fully God, to come to earth, to live a perfect life, showing us what God is like, dying on the cross in our place, the death that we deserve, being buried because he was dead, and rising from the dead three days later, conquering sin and death. And so it's belief in the gospel, and it's confession of that belief. So Paul's saying that's what faith is. From here to there, that's what our responsibility is, to believe and to confess. Now, he clarifies a little bit more here in in verse 10. For with the heart, one believes and is justified. And with the mouth, one confesses and is saved. Now, I, I don't think these are meant to be separated. I think the idea is that these come together. And so confessing something without believing is lying. In court, we call that perjury. If you're confessing something that is not true, that you don't believe. But also, uh, believing without confessing is also not, it's shorthanded, or it's, it's short-sighted, right? It, it, is, it falls short because confessing is the act of declaring what is true and living by that confession. And so confession is not just saying words, it is taking it from our heart to our mouth, Or another way of putting it is taking it from our affection to our action. That it's something that we believe in our our head, maybe in our hearts, but it's actually lived out. And so confession is, again, this synonymous with living out our faith, confessing that Jesus is Lord. And so it's believing and confessing the truth of the gospel. He goes on, verse 11. Say, for the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. Again, we see this first to the Jew, but then to the Gentile, to everyone who will believe. And then in verse 13, it says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now, I I love this combination here. No one who believes will be put to shame. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And I think as we, we probably know this, maybe we've heard this, but I want us just to sit here for a minute. Because I think there are times when we, you know, depending on, many of us, we have no church background and we say, I don't know any of this. Many of us have different, a myriad of church backgrounds where maybe we were kind of like, okay, I I had to, to go through this thing or I had to say this specific prayer that somebody said at church and I repeated after them. And we go, okay, then I have now believed. Well, but what is faith? Notice what Paul's doing here. He's simplifying this. He's saying it's belief in confession. It's not necessarily saying a certain prayer that you heard someone say and repeating it because what happens, and that's how I came to faith, that's a good thing. But, but what happens oftentimes is that we begin to have this insecurity about that. 
We begin to think, oh, okay, well, did I really believe? And what are we then putting as the object of our faith? It's on, the object of our faith becomes the quality of our faith at the moment I said that thing. And this is sometimes happens to us where we're like, oh, well, I don't really know if I said it right, or, or maybe I need to say it again, or, or, or was my faith really, uh, you know, and we begin to doubt this. And, and I just want us to hear, everyone who believes in Jesus will not be put to shame. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And the object of our faith is not the quality of our faith. The object of our faith very clearly here is Jesus and what he has done for us. And others of us, we may have come from a different context where maybe we went through a process, um, you know, confirmation or different kinds of process. That's a really good process. But again, it's not about the process. The process is meant to lead to this belief and confession. Now, baptism in, in, our, in our tradition is the formal confession of faith in Jesus in, in front of our church body. Uh, and I get asked all the time about baptism and about faith, especially if you're a parent with our kids, because we don't know. We wonder, oh, was, was it genuine? Was it, was it authentic? And again, I just want to encourage us that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And, every, and it, no one who believes in God will be put to shame. And so when we think about our kids, if they believe in their heart and they confess with their mouth the truth of the gospel, then they are they are saved. And now the way we do baptism here is uh, we have, if, if you're, uh, you know, if you have not been baptized, we want to invite you to be baptized. We do those on Sunday mornings um, here and as a part of our worship. Um, and I get asked all the time about kids, especially with baptism. Uh, and they, people want to know, okay, well, what's like, what's the age? And I don't have an age with that. I, I look at the scriptures and I don't see necessarily an age for, for baptism, but I think there's a couple things with that. One, I think they should be able to be of age where they can articulate their faith, right? They can confess with their mouth that they believe in Jesus. And two, just my personal thing is I encourage people to say that they have an age where they can remember this. So they can look back upon their salvation and say, I, I see that, maybe even that childlike faith, but I see how God moved in me and I can remember that baptism and, and move forward and propel me in faith in Jesus. And, and so I, I want to encourage you, if you have not been baptized or if your kid, child has not been baptized and your child is wanting to talk, you know, talk more about that, we would love to um, engage in that conversation with you. And even the way we do that here is just through conversation. We'd love to meet with you. You can reach out to any of our staff and we'd love to talk to you about that. But I want us just to, to simplify this. I think that's what Paul's doing here. He's saying from here to there, what is, where, how is salvation found? It's found having faith, believing, and confessing the truth of the gospel. And everyone who believes will be saved. Now, as we continue on in this, the, the question is, so everyone who believes in Jesus will be saved. And, and then the question is, what is faith? It's believing and confessing. But then he goes on. Uh, and I think the question that we're, the next question is, well, then how will people believe? How will people believe from here to there? And read with me, verse 14. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Now, <clears throat> uh, keep going, verse 16. But they have not all obeyed the gospel, for Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. Now, uh, this is a great progression. 
If salvation comes by calling on the name of the Lord because they believe, then how will that happen? Humanly speaking, how will that happen? They're only going to call on the name of the Lord if they believe. They're only going to believe if they hear the gospel. They're only going to hear the gospel if someone tells it to them. And they're only going to have the gospel told to them if someone, you and I, go. If we are sent to go, proclaim the gospel. Now, this translation used the word preach for that word. And and sometimes when we think preach, we go, oh, preach. That's what this guy does up here. Um, But the word preach means to proclaim It's not just limited to this. It means for all of us to go and tell. And so if we just do it the other way around, unless you and I go, are sent to tell people the truth of the gospel, people will not hear it. And if they don't hear it, they're not going to believe it. And if they don't believe it, they're not going to call upon the name of the Lord. Now, we looked at Romans 9 last week. God's purposes are not going to be thwarted. Romans 9 tells us that all of everything depends upon God alone. But what is God's purpose in this? It's for us, believers in Jesus, to go and to proclaim the truth of the gospel to people who don't know it. Now, I'm going to say the word, brace yourself, evangelism, right? (laughs) Some of us are like, oh, uh, some of us have not, or some others of us are like jumping up, like, okay, I'm ready. Let's go. Let's do this. The word evangelism, it, it, it just means good news tellers. That's the word. It's people who proclaim the good news. We're always telling good news. We're telling good news about, you know, a, a restaurant we tried or, or uh, um, you know, a show we like or uh, we're always telling good news. That's, and we love that. In fact, Paul quotes the Old Testament. He says, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Now, why are the feet beautiful? It's kind of a strange statement. Uh, when we had our first daughter, I remember um, we were, you know, had gone through the process and we had the baby and the, Caroline was, was healthy, Mandy was healthy. And so I was finally freed up to say, okay, you can go tell the family in the other room, who's, you know, the in-laws and the family who are all waiting yeah, to, to hear the news. And so I come around the corner and I remember coming around the corner and as soon as my footsteps came around the corner, our whole family was like, whatever they were looking at, they looked up, they were like, what is it? And I was like, it's a girl. Her name's Caroline Violet. She's healthy. Mandy's healthy. They were like, yes. Every time footsteps watch around that corner, they looked up, right? Because they're waiting for good news. This is the idea that, that the beautiful feet of ones who are coming to tell good news and so we think of evangelism sometimes, and yes, sure, things have been, you know, maybe, you know, harm has been done through that, but evangelism is being those beautiful feet that go tell good news. This is what we have to tell. The point here is that we come and we tell the good news of what Jesus has done for us. Because how are they going to hear the good news unless we go and tell it? And I love this relational approach here. Paul slows this down on purpose. He could have said this in like seven words. But he slows it down because he wants us to see this is relational. This is how are they going to hear unless you go? How are they going to connect? How are they going to understand the truth of the gospel unless we say it and proclaim it? Now, I really love that this is after Romans 9 because salvation is only secure. It's 100% based on the work that God has done. But from our perspective, We believe it and we confess it and we go tell others the good news of Jesus. Trusting God's plan does not negate the work of sharing the gospel. Now, practically speaking, what does this look like for us? 
Um, I think this goes back to things we've said a lot um, about what it means to be a part of our church. One of the things that we talk a lot about is, um, if you've been here for uh, very long, you've heard us talk about being in White Rock for White Rock. That our desire is to be on mission for the Lord. And that has a, a lot of, uh, um, you know, implications. I mean, one, that's why we plant churches. Uh, we planted a church a few years ago, Lakewood Fellowship. Um, and uh, Lakewood Fellowship meets at the Gaston Y. In fact, I think I've got their little logo here. Um, there we go. Lakewood Fellowship, they meet at the Gaston, or the YMCA, the White, the White Rock YMCA on Gaston. And I want to encourage you, if you live in that area and, and you're thinking through, hey, how can I be a part of a church that is in Lakewood for Lakewood? This idea of sharing the gospel, of saturating the gospel with, uh, with saturating the neighborhoods uh, with the gospel, I would encourage you to prayerfully consider going. And we're in the process of planting another church. If you, as you know, uh, Jared Perry is, is looking to plant East Lake Fellowship this coming fall. And if you live east of White Rock Lake, I'd encourage you to prayerfully consider going and being a part of what he's doing. And so right now they are in the process of, of building a core team. They're meeting um, every other week and just beginning to start this process. I would encourage you to prayerfully consider doing that and going with them. But not only church planting, it's not our only efforts in trying to live this, miss, this mission out of being in White Rock for White Rock. This is also part of the reason we have local partners. Uh, because for some of us, we go, okay, I get it. I'm supposed to share the gospel, but then who do I share that to? And we need context sometimes to be able to do that. And so we have local partners. One of our, uh, our partners, our newest partnership is the Northwest Community Center, which is uh, a ministry to refugees right there. Uh, less than two miles away from here in, the, in Vickery Meadow. And one, one of the best things about this partnership is, yes, bringing about the flourishing of the neighborhood and caring for the neighborhood and the needs of the neighborhood, but also it gives us context and it gives us a place to talk about Jesus with people who have, some of them, never heard the name of Jesus because they're new to this country or they've moved from a Muslim context. And uh, there's so many opportunities. I'd encourage you, there's their website is on there um, to look. There's opportunities daily, weekly, monthly to serve. But one of the most, one of the newest ones is a men's conversation hour. It's Wednesdays at lunch. Um, And it's just, it's men sitting down and talking through um, English, but they give prompts to, they do it for you. They set it up to where you get to have spiritual conversations in the context uh, of these relationships. Same with our other partners, with Young Lives. We partner with Young Life, um, in particular Young Lives, which works with teen moms. This is an opportunity to care for teen moms, but also to share the truth of Jesus with teen moms who are in a, in a difficult predicament. We can care for them, but also share the love of God with them. Also through Thrive, which is a pregnancy resource center that we've partnered with for years, there's opportunities to mentor uh, and to engage when someone is in the context of crisis, to be able to love them, but also to share the gospel. And that's not just women. As you heard a few weeks ago, uh, Kyle, uh, he volunteers with men, um, meeting with the men who are in this process as well and talking through care and what does that look like, but also sharing the gospel. And then, of course, our, our longest standing partnership, which is Hotchkiss Elementary right over here. Uh, it's a public school, so we, have to, we can't just you know, show up and uh, proclaim the gospel boldly, but we get to have relationships there and opportunities where we can do that. And so all of these are, yes, for the flourishing of our neighborhood, but also to give us context to share the gospel. And so again, we have church planning, we have ministry partnerships, but then as you sort of kind of keep coming down more granular, all of us live in an apartment complex, uh, on a street, all of us go to work, all of us have a place where we, you know, where we engage, where we play. And 
this is what we talk about as the church when we say we want to have spiritual responsibility for our neighborhood. That when we think about the people we interact with, whether those are people at work or that we live near or that we play with, whatever it is, that we engage in the conversations about the good news that we have about Jesus. And so this is why we talk about this. And, and sometimes those places where you are may not be places you want to be. Maybe it's a job you don't like or a situation that where you, you're like, boy, I never would have chosen this. And yet God has you there to declare and to demonstrate the truth of the gospel. And, and so we keep going down. Your family, your extended family, your roommates, the people that live in your home, opportunities to share the gospel, to, to display the gospel and to declare the gospel. And so Paul's very clear here. He's saying, we have a responsibility as believers in Jesus to go. Because how will they call on him if they have not believed? How will they believe on him if they've not heard the truth of the gospel? How will they hear if someone doesn't preach and doesn't proclaim the gospel? And how will that happen if, if you and I are not sent? Do not go to where people are to share the love of God. Now, the last thing I, I want to say about this is... Um, Paul's emphasis here is faith in Jesus. And his emphasis here is that we go and share the love of God with people around us. But I don't want to miss something that was in the reading. And it's chapter 10, verse 1. It says, Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. And it starts here for us. Whether I said the word evangelism and you were like, oh, he's going to talk about evangelism. Or I said that and you were like, I'm, I'm leaping. I'm so excited to go in and to, to do this. Either way, this starts with prayer. And for us, this first step for us is a prayerful desire like we see in Paul. To share the gospel. To, that people who don't know Jesus might hear the truth of the gospel and be saved. And so here's our call from this passage. It's... Um, it's pretty simple. It's to believe in our heart the truth of the gospel, to confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, to go and declare that gospel to others, to faithfully pray that all who hear this message may be saved, to be those beautiful feet who bring good news of salvation. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for um, this passage that in many ways um, simplifies what it is that we're here to do and to be about. It's belief and confession. And it's sharing that good news. And so, Lord, I, uh, I pray for each of us as we prepare our hearts for communion that we might Walk with the, um, the security for a believer in Jesus. The security that uh, the object of our faith is not the quality of our faith. It's not that we said the right thing at one time. The object of our faith is you, Lord. That we believe that you did what you said you did. And that you were faithful to fulfill your promise to give us Jesus 
and that his life and his death and his resurrection has given us salvation. And so may we walk with the, the peace and the security that comes with not the quality of our faith, but the object of our faith. And Lord, I also pray for us as we prepare for communion that, um, that we might be a faithful church in this part of town. Not just in caring for the needs of the neighborhood, though very important, but also in sharing the truth of who Jesus is, of saturating the neighborhoods of, of White Rock Lake with the gospel of Jesus for your glory. Would you give us boldness? Would you give us faith to trust you and to step out and to declare the truth of the gospel? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.